0: Third John uh, chapter 1, and our last meeting, what we looked at primarily was a, uh, we looked at an introduction to the book, the entirety of the book, we did more of a high overview of what the contents, the subject, uh, what the main points, the structure of the book was. And this morning, I want to deal with just the first four verses, and kind of deal with the... The subject of walking in the truth. And of course, when we talk about truth, we know we're talking about something that is not arbitrary. We're not talking about something that is, um, is declared just by man, but we're talking about the truth as it's declared in Christ. And you see the first four verses, and I know we, we read this last month, but as we look at it again, it says, "...the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth." Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What I immediately notice is the use of the word truth that is found in verses one, three, and four. We first of all see it being used in the terms of, I love in the truth. In verse three, we see testified of the truth that is in thee and walk us in the truth. And then verse four, we see again the phrase, walk in truth. Now, of course, the writer of this letter is, John, he refers to himself as the elder. He addresses this particular epistle unto Gaius. We see that, unto the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, the name Gaius appears in the New Testament at least four different times that I'm aware of. Uh, it was as common in the Roman Empire, as far as names go, as a name such as John Smith would be among us. It's it's not an unusual name, although it's a bit unusual to us. To them, it would be very common. Uh, this is not, and it's important, this is not the Gaius that's addressed uh, the brother Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians one fourteen. So this is a different individual. But we do see that John refers to him as the well-beloved, uh, a well-beloved or a beloved brother. Uh, when we see that phrase, a well-beloved, he's, it's identifying that this is a fellow convert. This is a fellow person who is in the faith, a person who is uh, in Christ. And most more specifically, uh, this individual was most likely converted under the ministry of John directly. So this was, this was probably one of his quote-unquote converts. And so this second epistle that John wrote, uh, in Second John, we also see uh, that that epistle was written unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And we see that phrase about walking in truth, even in the second epistle of John, it says, "I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth." So this is a common theme, a common phrase. That John uses this walking in truth. So that's what we're going to deal with this morning is walking uh, in the truth. So I would say that truth and love are what we call uh, natural companions. In other words, one does not go without the other. If If we have true love, we have the real truth. If we have the real truth, we're going to have love. So we're not going to have a situation where we have one or the other, but yet we have these companions. So we can't separate those two. We know that this particular epistle, Third John, the emphasis is on truth and deeds. Okay, so there's an emphasis on the truth and then the acts that are a result of walking in the truth. So really, our truth should match our deeds or our deeds should match the truth. They're really, in fact, uh, the same concept. There is over in Galatians uh, chapter 5, uh, there is a, there's a reference to this faith working love or faith worketh by love. And it's a great, great reminder. Galatians 5, 6 uh, says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So this is really kind of a reference to our study we began on Sunday mornings about justification. Uh, It's identifying that outward works or deeds are the result of our justification. They are the result of our conversion. And so wherever there is truth, wherever there is a conversion, there are going to be good deeds that are demonstrating the result of justification. That's the idea uh, that's being given here. So as we go back and we look at what John is writing to Gaius, and we remember we, last month we looked at how uh, really this letter, this particular one, is about four individuals. We see reference to Gaius, we see reference to Diotrephes, we see a reference to Demetrius, and then of course, John. And these are these four men, and, and we talked a little bit about how their reputation, and what is a reputation? A reputation grows out of how we act. If if I have a reputation for being something, it's it's more more than not, or more likely than not, that my reputation is based upon my behavior. So that really is the entire sum and substance of what John is writing about here. Uh, He's he's constructing this letter with the idea of the well-beloved and the truth and the deeds that accompany that. Right? So the idea of these justified brothers are walking in this particular manner, they're walking in truth. And so he uses terminology about wishing good unto Gaius, he talks about rejoicing, he talks about having no greater joy uh, than to know uh, these children walk in the truth. Now that reference to children is not primarily to uh, children by age, but children who were the result of his ministry or they were converted under his ministry. He called them spiritual children. Let me grab the door real quick. So we're looking at, uh, we're at 3 John. We just started a few minutes ago. So Third John and uh, looking at the first four verses. So this, this insight, okay, so knowing that Gaius is receiving this letter written um, from John with the intention that there is going to be some sort of a conflict that we know about. The conflict we know is going to arise when Diotrephes' name is mentioned. So this is important for us to understand that how John was writing to Gaius really sets the principle and he's giving us this illustration of that this man is an illustration of a person who is walking in the truth. And that's really what sets the framework for this entire letter. So John, you see, refers to himself as an elder and he's considering himself or calling himself an elder here, mostly on account of his age and his, and his office, but he addresses it to this individual Gaius, which we've looked at already, who he calls him well-beloved. Now, the Bible tells us that in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, there is a reference made to that all who are believers or all who are in Christ are in fact beloved. and We know what Second Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief the truth so there we see the connection between beloved and the truth so gaius is being referred to as well beloved whom i love in the truth fellow brethren fellow brother in christ we also know that the word beloved also indicates he says who i love in the truth gaius was loved by john he was loved as a, a brethren loved as one who's also in the faith But as we're going to learn, we're going to see that Gaius was not just loved by John, but Gaius' reputation was one that he was loved by the brethren. Uh, Anybody who knew him, uh, we're going to know him as being a man of great faith or being a man of great integrity. we're going to learn about his generosity. He's a liberal individual. His liberality is to speak of. Uh, and I think there's this there's this concept and kind of a way of application this morning. There's this concept of of being men who are m- known of men of great faith, uh, men men of integrity, uh, men of liberality. Not liberal in politics, of course, but liberal in our generosity, liberal in our hospitality. And so, you know, there has been over time. There, in my opinion, there's been this this moving away from really teaching. Um, our young men how to be men of integrity, men of of liberality, men of great faith. But remember, uh, faith isn't something that we just learn. Faith is something we're given of of the Lord. But if we are in the faith, then we ought to have these characteristics. And I hope that we would want it to be said of us uh, that we should not only strive to know that we believe and been saved by grace, but we ought to be gracious people. We ought to be people who are not just gracious in our behavior, but we are also sound in doctrine, and we're we're actually loving people and lovable people. Uh, these are these are difficult concepts sometimes when especially when we're dealing with with the subject of biblical manhood. I know sometimes we we hear that word and there's a whole lot of definitions out there about what biblical manhood is, but don't ever lose sight of the fact that when when God identifies uh, biblical men in the Bible, he's he's identifying men who are not just living by that grace, but they are also people of great faith, they have integrity, they live by liberality, they're hospitable, uh, and they are people who are loving. And remember, we're told that we are to speak the truth in love. So again, we've got to get our mind's eye off of the world's definition of what love is and understand that uh, there is this idea of loving in the truth. So John is identifying Gaius as a person who walks in the truth. Um, Notice what he says to him in verse two. He says, after I love him in the truth, he says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So we've already identified Gaius' character as a man who is well-beloved and he is well-beloved of God. Uh, He's well-beloved because the grace of God had been bestowed upon him. He's a person who's truly gracious. He's a person who's faithful. He's a person of integrity. He's a person who is liberal. And John mentions him as this man who is, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. Now, we know John is is not putting an undue emphasis on temporal success. We hear that word, Prosper, And we immediately think, oh, that, that, that means temporal success in this world. That's not the idea that he has here. However, I think there is this point that uh, even in our temporal affairs, uh, whether it's in our life of business or it's our life of health, uh, those things are important things. Uh, we realize that any success, I mean, he's, he's wishing him success is what he's doing here, but success in anything depends on the blessing of God. So whatever we are quote-unquote successful at is based upon God's blessing that. Success and, think about this, we often sometimes in the church, we say, well, we don't focus on success, we don't focus on prosperity, and we shouldn't. But do you realize that even in the, in the life of us as individuals, uh, success and prosperity used in the hands of God can actually be very beneficial to the body of Christ. You know, we could get so far one way where we start to say, wait a minute, you know, I don't want anything to do with success and prosperity. And I'm not talking about that becoming your, your main objective. But what I am talking about is, is if, if God has blessed you in that way, to say that that can't be used for the cause of Christ, I think would be kind of a foolish statement. It can be, it can be used for that and so those can be a great blessing to the church. Think about a man who's been saved by grace who's also has understands this success and prosperity and how he could use that for the cause of Christ. There is a reference to health. He says that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Now, we know that this is there he he has physical temporal things in mind, because you see the comma there says, even as thy soul prospereth, he's talking about the physical and the spiritual here. He says, I do wish that there is, that there you prosper and you're in good health, even in the same way that your soul prospers. So there's, there is a connection and, and it's a fascinating study when we think about the state of even our bodily condition has a great influence on our mind and has a great influence on our soul. Sometimes we don't think about you know, people in bad health. Um, we don't think about how, how that affects the rest of them because it really does have an effect. So John's not, John's not praying for Gaius to have some level of prosperity gospel here. That's not what he's talking about. But he is identifying there is this connection between our spiritual condition and also our earthly condition as well. Simply, I think John is writing that he's, he's, he's praying that Gaius' earthly condition would be as, as glorious as his spiritual condition. He's identifying, Gaius, you've got your, the spiritual nature, and I hope that your temporal life, your health, is just as bright as that is. But think about all of the, even, out, even the outward mercies of God in our health, uh, even today, if, if, we are, if we are healthy, if we're, we are uh, content, those are all still by the grace of God as well. But the most important aspect here, I think, that John identifies is, is his soul. And he says, even as thy soul prospereth, you know, before God saves us by his grace, our soul is, is racked and ridiculed and, and, with, and diseased. It's filled with sin. Um, it is something that is, dominates us, and we can say a person is in bad physical health by their symptoms, but do you realize that in our spiritual life, sometimes we don't realize just how ravaged we are by sin until God's grace opens our eyes to the truth. And so, soul prosperity soul prosperity and being in good health. What is a good health? What's a soul that is in good health? A soul that's good in good health is a soul that knows its sins and its iniquities have been forgiven. That's part of the spiritual health. Uh, our, our soul is said to prosper not only when our sins have been forgiven, but when we actually have a spiritual appetite for the things of Christ. You know, I challenge myself often and ask myself. You know, in my own time with God, I'm asking, "Do is my appetite for God and my appetite for you the way it ought to be?" Like we talked about Wednesday, am I am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Do I truly want these things? And it is that as we grow in the things of the Lord, our soul grows. We desire not just the things of the gospel, but we desire first of all, the sincere milk of the word. We desire the meat of the word. We feed upon God's word. We're nourished by it. We grow. Our faith uh, is exercised in a greater degree. Our hope is increased. Our love increases. The more we know about God, the more we understand about grace, the more we have a knowledge of Christ, the more we understand our inward man is being renewed day after day after day, we ought to be finding this sense of fresh strength even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Why? Because of our communion with God. You know, when, when we are in communion with God, when it's right, there, is, there ought to be the joy of our salvation. When our communion is right, even in bad circumstances, there still ought to be the joy of our salvation. And so Gaius is is identified here by John as being one who is, he is in good health. He's in good spiritual health. But then notice he says in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. John found a great source of rejoicing in the fact that other brothers in Christ identified him in the very same manner. They testified of him that he was in fact walking in the truth. Now think about that for a moment. Here are these these other brothers who are who know Gaius, who know who he is. They testified of the truth that the gospel has in fact uh, has in fact apprehended him, and that he had this gracious spirit. You know, it's one thing for us to announce ourselves as gracious and loving and liberal and hospitable. It's a greater truth when somebody else, a brother in the Lord, identifies you that way. We can all identify ourselves for whatever we want to be declared as. I can say, look, I'm, I'm a gracious person, but do other people testify of that? Would, some, would another brother in Christ say to you, yes, that is a gracious person? Or would they maybe say, uh, no, I don't, he's not very gracious. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a humble person. No, he's not humble at all. He's filled with pride. So... They told John, that's what his reference is. He said, I rejoice great when the brethren came and they told me about you. And they told me that Gaius is truly a man in whom Christ is formed. He's, he walks before God. He's, he walks in a man. He walks as a man who gives glory to God in his life. Now, there's one thing that I think we find here and, and John doesn't say anything about it. So I don't want to add to the text here, but John doesn't reference to anything about them envying the gift or the grace or the characteristics that Gaius had. He doesn't say anything. They testified of you, and then they talk badly about you, how badly they wish they had what you had. You know, one of the hardest things for us to do is to take those principles in Scripture. It talks about rejoicing when others rejoice and weeping when others weep actually rejoicing in the spiritual health of someone else even in the fact that maybe your spiritual health is not where it needs to be there's no reference of envy here there's no reference of saying you know yeah he's he's a good guy he's a good man and uh, but we're we're kind of we're kind of jealous of him we envy him no we even see in the second in the second epistle second john again remember we read second john 4 I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Uh, We we are told to to rejoice uh, as professing believers. And I think we also, on the same token, we have the responsibility to weep when believers don't walk the way that they should. And again, I think we all have identified and can identify with that. But imagine being testified of, uh, by others as a man who walks in the truth. Now, again, we're, we're kind of, we're meeting as, as men. Of course, this is not just for men as, as far as male goes. I mean, this is, this is testimony that our women would want to have, and, and there should be a desire that they uh, have Christ formed in them also. But imagine this being said, that testified of the truth that was in him, the truth of grace, the truth of Christ, the truth of faithfulness, the truth of integrity, the truth of sincerity. Uh, He he appeared to be doing things according to the way Christ had, had set it out and walking according to the gospel. That brought great joy to John. It's a matter of joy. It's a matter of joy for me personally to see people that truly love Christ. And it's heartbreaking to see people who don't truly love Christ. And I, I in my short life, and I still consider my life short in comparatively, comparatively speaking, I have, I have been on both sides of that. I've seen, I've seen the joy of seeing someone who loves Christ, and I've been on the other side of seeing people who, for whatever reason, and it's heartbreaking to see, they just don't love Christ at all. And no matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I've tried to do, they just don't. I've seen others who, who have, have shown evidence of that, and yet it didn't last. It's hard, it's hard situations. But true grace doesn't envy the gift or the grace in someone else. It rejoices in that. You know, I don't, I, I'm not to envy someone else's gift. I'm not, I'm not to envy somebody else's ability. And just a personal matter, it's, it's difficult for, for men and, and preachers who, who, who preach who hear somebody else and they think, well, that man really knows how to preach. That's not good. To try to to emulate or be envious of someone else just use the gift that god has given you to do use the gift of however be the person god wants you to be rejoice in truth wherever it's found instead of saying man i wish i wish i was as good as that man you know odds are it's always someone someone told me this once they said that person that you're so envying that person's envying someone themselves and so there comes this instead of envying the grace just thank god that that person's walking in truth and so that's, that's really important, uh, especially in this idea where John is, is referencing these faithful ministers of the Word. So his prayer and his, his testimony is that when the brethren came, he rejoiced greatly, even as thou walkest in the truth. Again, he reiterates the reality, the Gaius, you are in fact walking in this truth. I have no greater joy. Nothing makes me happier than to hear that those to whom the gospel's been preached, and maybe John's even saying with regard to Gaius, who I was used as part of the means of God to bring them to a knowledge of Christ. I mean, just to have a part um, in someone's conversion is a great joy. Um, And knowing that it's God's grace that saved them, of course. We know that it's, it, without God, without the Spirit opening their eyes, we're just, it's just mere words. But I'm telling you, when God gives you just a little bit of a glimpse to know that you had some type of an influence or an impact in their life, guys, I'm telling you, it's worth it. It really is worth it. Um, there is no greater joy. Um, I've had phone calls over the years where someone I was praying with, someone I was talking to, who they pick up the phone one day and they call me and they say, Preacher, I want to tell you what happened to me today. And they, they tell me, without me even saying a word, they tell me about their conversion. And they tell me, here's what happened. And they, they tell me, this is, and you're just sitting on the phone and you're just saying, this is, this is a wonderful thing to hear. Knowing that, yes, God allowed that person to be in your life. And that's one of the joys. One of the joys is being able to see someone come to the truth. I have no greater joy, he says in verse four, than to hear my children walk in truth. Now we understand here that children here primarily is not a reference to children by age or even physical children. He's talking about spiritual children. He's talking about people, you know, the apostle Paul and Timothy who had a direct influence. He called him his son in the ministry, his son in Christ, not identifying him as father, son in the physical relationship, but obviously in spiritual father. But there's absolutely no greater gift. There's absolutely no greater inheritance we can give to our own families than to preach the gospel to them. You know, we often say, where's the gospel needed most? And I hear this all the time. The gospel is needed 3,000 miles away from here. No, the greatest, the great, the gospel was needed greatest in our own circle of influence, in our own homes. The gospel doesn't stop getting preached just because we say everybody's a professor. We still talk about the gospel in our home and, and all of everyone that lives in my house is a professor of Christ, but yet we still talk about the gospel. There's no greater joy and nothing brings greater satisfaction to our hearts and to our soul than to watch someone receive the truth and then walk in it. They receive it and they walk in it. They believe on Christ, they repent of their sins, they're converted, then they walk in that truth. So John makes reference here of his spiritual children. Uh, those who their conversion he had at least been used as an instrument of. And of course, it seems as if Gaius was one, and that's why he refers to him so clearly. So when we think about those who are the beloved, and we think about those who will love the brethren, the greatest blessing we have on this side of heaven is the the prosperity of our soul. The health of our soul how our soul is now it's not it's not the things we own it's not how much money you know there are there are fathers and and again i have i am far from a perfect father and have, have never claimed to have been but there's a there's a there's a trap we fall into you know just just by by way of physical application to fathers and children you know we we think we are we are supremely blessed if our children grow up and they become rich or they they marry well they they find great success in business but remember that's not that's not the greatest hope that we should have for them our greatest hope is not that they'll find those things in this life our greatest hope in this life is that their their soul prospers that that they are they are walking with God, that they have a communion with Christ. I mentioned to you about the effects of the weakness of a body, the health of a physical body, but underneath that physical weak body is a prosperous soul. And I've, I've told this story, so I don't know who I've told it to before, but I can remember years and years ago um, watching a dear older woman in the church that I, we, we, we attended, and we watched it happen over years. Her health got worse and worse, and her health became a... Um, she had this spine condition that literally led her from walking straight to where she just year after year after year after year, she just continued to just go like this to where she got to the point where she could no longer even look up. She, she walked with her, her head down. And, and I remember we... Everybody just looked and, and we we just hurt for her because that tilting over was not just structural, it was also painful. So the worse that she got hunched over, the worse the pain got. So we could make the connection between the worse that she's lumped over, not only is it structural, but it's painful. She would come to church, she would beg to come to church just to be around God's people. And we would all try to find out, okay, who's, who's gonna help? Who's gonna be an encouragement to Miss Irma today? Who's gonna, who's gonna encourage her? And I tell you not, guys, I tell you guys, every single time you tried to encourage her, she ended up encouraging you. She, she, had, she was an example of physical health was gone. Her physical health was, was, had moved far away from her, but yet underneath all of that outward physical pain was a, a prosperous soul a soul that you could tell that woman was walking in communion with God. And you would walk away from her um, just encouraged by the reality that we were not encouraged by her outward. We were encouraged by her prosperous soul. And I say all that because I think that's more what John was talking about than anything. He wasn't formulating saying the greatest thing about you, Gaius, is your outward health. The greatest thing about you is you're walking in truth, and when you're walking in truth, your soul prospers. So we might wish and pray for people to be in good health. And I believe in that. I, I believe I, we ought to pray for people's physical health. We ought to pray for people who are going through difficult health situations. But we also ought to pray for prosperous souls. We ought to pray for them walking in the truth. We pray not only for their health, but we pray primarily that their souls would prosper. True faith works by love. Remember, we started by saying there's a connection between these two. A testimony about who we are, a testimony about who Christ is, is demonstrated outwardly by how we walk. Uh, what we say is often... is, is unaccepted if our walk doesn't match what we say i can try this morning to convince you i have certain characteristics there are certain things that i am but only my conduct how i walk is going to demonstrate what really is there good men rejoice in the prosperity especially the soul prosperity of others my challenge to you this morning is that John, of course, as he wrote to Gaius, he rejoiced how glad and joyful he was to hear about the grace and the goodness of God working in Gaius' life. As much as it is, is a joy for us to be parents, physical parents to our children. It's an even greater joy to watch the prosperity of their soul even than just their being good children. There is this no greater joy than to know that God has worked in their life. I want to read to you, this is, this is a portion from a, a rather lengthy um, entry from Spurgeon. But he, he, he makes this statement, he says, Many who ought to know better think themselves superlatively blessed if their children become rich, marry well, strike out into profitable enterprises, or attain eminence in their profession. These parents go to bed rejoicing and wake satisfied, though their boys are on the road to hell, if they are also making money. They have no greater joy than that their children are having their portion in this life and laying up treasure where rust corrupts it. Though neither their sons nor their daughters show any signs of the new birth, give no evidence of being rich toward God, Manifest no traces of electing love, redeeming grace, or the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, yet the parents are content with their condition. I hope no parent will allow their children to grow up and leave their roof without knowing the doctrines of the gospel, the life of Christ, and the great precepts of Scripture, without having as clear an understanding as possible of the great principles and plan of salvation. It should be the holy ambition of every parent that his entire family should be renewed by the Holy Spirit, Happy as a marriage day is that day when a parent sees his child surrender to the people of God, having first given his heart to Christ. The joy of the text is that the children walk in truth, the actual demonstration of the power of the gospel in their lives. This proves that the teaching was well-received, the feeling was not mere excitement, and the profession was not a falsehood, but was done in truth. I love the way he puts that, because... Yes, John was not writing primarily to Gaius and his physical children, but the principles are there and rejoicing in the truth and rejoicing in those who walk in the truth, all right?